All right, welcome to the Apostolic Bible Study Podcast. My name is Brother Asher. I'm a member of Christ Center Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And today we're going to talk about the suffering servant. Uh, But before we do, I just wanted to briefly give a shout out to uh, Bonnie, who is a listener of the podcast. I don't know where you're located, Bonnie, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, the message of encouragement that you sent. Just talking about how much the podcast had helped you and blessed you. Um, Bonnie, that means the world. So praying for you, praying for your family. And uh, if anybody else has any questions or things that they would like me to go over on the podcast, you're always more than welcome to reach out uh, to Apostolic Bible Study Podcast at gmail.com. I know that's a little long. Apostolic Bible Study Podcast at gmail.com. And I'm always available for you. So, um, so with that, let's get into the suffering servant. I wanted to give a brief rationale of why uh, this is an important topic. So believe it or not, Easter's right around the corner. I know it's crazy to think about. We literally just celebrated New Year's not that long ago, but Easter's going to be here before you know it. Uh, certain faith traditions that celebrate Lent um, have already begun that this week. So uh, already we're starting to see this season approach, and there is no better time to focus our attention and our thoughts on the passion of Jesus Christ. That's really what we celebrate this time of year, and that resurrection is what we celebrate, obviously, on Easter Sunday. But there is so much helpful meditation and prayer and study of the scriptures that we can do this time of year in order to increase our faith and uh, encourage us as we as we prepare ourselves for Easter. So let me pray and then we'll go ahead and get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your coming, for the sacrifice that you made for our sake, where you took our sins upon yourself and bled for us and died and rose again for our justification. So we honor your name, and we ask, Lord, that this would be honoring to you, and that most of all we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, much like the last podcast I did on Love Your Enemies, uh, this is something that I wrote a long, long time ago, and I'm just going to read it um, as much as I'm able to. Uh, We are going to read Isaiah 52 beginning in verse 13 and going all the way through Isaiah 53 verse 12. So this really, this passage really is where we get the concept of the suffering servant from. Um, The servant of the Lord is a common term in Isaiah, in the latter half of Isaiah, um, that describes Jesus in a kind of new way that's messianic but also shows um, that not only was he truly God but he was truly human um, that he was the mediator so Isaiah 52 verse 13 is where this servant song begins I know a lot of times we just think of Isaiah 53 as the place where we read about the suffering servant but really begins Isaiah 52 verse 13 so we're going to start there we're going to read all the way through Isaiah 53 And then we are going to get into the exposition of it. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred, 
more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not, but surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And because he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. No other scripture more fully sums up the counterintuitive nature of our Christ than the servant songs that appear in the latter half of Isaiah. These passages show us both the suffering and humility of our Lord from the divine perspective and give us clarity and understanding the heart of the gospel. The longest and most famous of these servant songs is found in Isaiah 52 and 53. It's necessary for us as those who live in the wake of Christ's death and resurrection to keep the meaning of his coming at the forefront of our minds as we draw close to him. First, the unlikeliness of the suffering servant. The theme which runs so, which so deeply flows through all of Christ's earthly ministry is the same theme which runs throughout all of God's working in our world. God operates in a way that is foreign to us. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as we are confronted with the mysterious working of God in both our lives and in the world at large, we are struck with the immense realization that the way he accomplishes his plan is counterintuitive to our fallen minds. 
Even minds that have been shaped by the word and spirit of God are often incapable of understanding the way in which our Lord works. Isaiah himself is a picture of this. Though there are prophecies of Jesus throughout his entire book, we can see the way in which his concept of Jehovah's chosen Messiah grows progressively over time as he himself matures. In chapter 9 of this same book, we see him give us a picture of the Messiah as a great ruler, as a mighty God, as an everlasting father whose government shall never come to an end. But it would be many chapters before he saw that mighty God would reveal himself to the world as a man of sorrows, one who would be well acquainted with grief. And when Isaiah saw that the government would be upon his shoulders, he couldn't have initially imagined that Jesus' shoulders would also bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. This is what is meant by verse 14 of chapter 52. Many were astonished at thee. For it is incomprehensible to the human mind that the way Jesus would be exalted and extolled would be through being marred beyond human semblance, beyond human recognition. And yet the unlikeliness of this suffering servant isn't limited merely to the ghastliness of his appearance on the cross. Isaiah goes on to say that he had no form or comeliness and no beauty that we should desire him. This is a crucial point that we must understand in a world that is so quick to judge something by its appearance. We must remember that the king of kings who created all things was nothing to look at. And yet that which is ugly to the world is beautiful in the eyes of God. Though he was disallowed of men, in the sight of God, he was elect and precious. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Secondly, the center of the poem. The entire song in Isaiah 52 and 53 can be broken up into several stanzas. Most modern translations of the Bible break this passage up into five stanzas, which of course makes the third stanza the center. This is important because Hebrew poetry, unlike English poetry, places most emphasis on the center of the poem. This center can be found in verses 4 through 6, and this is some of the most well-known verses of the entire passage. Verses 4 through 6 say this, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This gives us the picture of Jesus as our divine substitute, as the one who stands in our place and bears our punishment. It also shows us the extent of Jesus' sacrifice, that he bore both the legal and emotional consequences of our sins. He not only took upon himself our transgressions and iniquities, but also the griefs and sorrows that are produced by them. He took the full punishment that our sin deserves and gave us his own righteousness that we would be justified in the sight of God. This central stanza of the poem points us directly to the agony faced on Calvary's cross to the punishment that God inflicted upon his anointed for our sake. 
And verse 6 tells us this by saying that our sins were laid upon Christ Jesus by his Father. This is a theme more fully seen in verse 10 of this same chapter, which tells us that it was the will of God Almighty to crush the servant and put him to grief. We must never forget that the work that God has accomplished to save us has been done through suffering and anguish. This suffering and anguish was ours to bear because of our sin, and yet we couldn't bear it. In order to stand justified in God's sight, the servant, Jesus Christ, took our iniquity and clothed us in his righteousness. Thirdly, the humility of the servant. Though he was oppressed and afflicted, he never retaliated. Rather, he committed himself to him that judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.23 It is a striking thing that the Lord of glory, who never sinned, would bear such reproach and guilt without a word. But in order to understand this, we must remember the sole reason why he went to the cross. Not for his sin, for he had no sin, but for ours. These were the two sins that he was convicted of, blasphemy and treason. Mark 14, 16, 61 through 64 says this, says that he was found guilty of blasphemy before the religious officials. And Mark 15, verse 2, says he was found guilty of treason because he called himself the king of the Jews. And while Jesus wasn't guilty of either of these crimes, of course, these are the very two crimes that Adam, in the garden, and all his seed, both you and I, have committed. For we, in so many ways, have blasphemed by making ourselves to be the center of the universe and putting our own will above the Lord's, making ourselves gods. And we also seek to find happiness and fulfillment through committing divine treason and breaking the laws that God has given us. So the punishments that Jesus took upon himself in humble submission were the very punishments that we deserve. Fourthly, the exaltation of the servant. The last stanza of this poem ends similarly to its beginning with an expression of the servant's exaltation. Though the servant opened not his mouth against his oppressors, his ascension in divine glory shall shut the mouths of rulers in this world. Isaiah 52, 15. And this theme is present in the closing words of this great poem, that though the Lord put him to grief, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He will divide the spoil with the strong because he's poured out his soul unto death. This is, in a sense, what Jesus meant when he said in John 10, 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Jesus' obedience has led to the Father bestowing on him the name above every name for the Father's glory. And he has made the captain of our salvation, whose name is Jesus, perfect through his sufferings. Finally, brief implications of the cross. Once Jesus has become our Savior, then he becomes our ultimate example. And the cross of Christ not only shows us the way in which God saves us, but it shows us what is required of us. Paul tells us that Jesus died for all, that we who live 
should not live for ourselves, but unto him who died for us and was resurrected. 2 Corinthians 5.15 When blood-bought Christians see the cross, we are reminded of Jesus' call to all who would follow him to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2, saying, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. The cross is the pattern for our Christian life. We seek to be humbled by God's hand and brought closer to him through self-denial. This also helps us understand suffering that we encounter in the world. For if the Son of God, who knew no sin, learned obedience through the things that he suffered, then we must learn in this way as well. It's often true that the heartache we face in our lives is the very pain that connects us most intimately with Jesus. This is what Peter meant when he said that through our trials we are made partakers of Christ's sufferings. There is a union with Jesus that can only be felt when all our worldly comforts are hidden from our eyes and he alone stands before us. This is why Paul is so insistent on the importance of our suffering, saying that we're fellow heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. Just as Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him, we endure the pain of this life because of the eternal weight of glory which we long for in heaven. Well, that's been a brief meditation and exposition of the Suffering Servant Song in Isaiah 52 and 53. I pray that it blessed you, and I pray you have a great night.